in to Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. My name is Sam Lebowitz. His name is Jack Hendon as always. So Jack, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Sam. How uh, have you been uh, enjoying it? I had uh, TV station stuff to do all day. Uh, I've been busy and I am tired. And we are also on our third episode in a seven-day span. Uh, if you guys, obviously, we had last last week in the normal time slot, we had Allison McKay and Allie Kaler on, and that was a great episode. And in case you guys missed it, we dropped a surprise episode on Friday. That was with Justin Toscano of the of the New Jersey Burden Record, uh, who covers the Mets for for the beat. Um, so go check that out if you haven't. We had a great conversation with Justin about lots of stuff. And as for today's episode, it's more of kind of a housekeeping episode. I think Jackie will agree with me on that one. Yeah less like big timey news and rumors to talk about more just kind of what's been going on. There is one piece of real significant Mets news that we got to talk about and that we're going to talk about first. And that's the fact that Seth Lugo is not healthy going into spring training. Uh, he needs elbow surgery to remove a loose body in his right elbow. That's the pitching elbow. Uh, and he's going to be shut down for six weeks, which is puts him right about well, I'd say about six weeks behind everybody else because that's right when opening day starts. And so that's that's as long as he won't be throwing, we hope. Uh, then then the conversation is about the bullpen and, and what do you do to replace Lugo? Because you're gonna you're probably not gonna have him for about a quarter of the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at least that's I mean, that's a huge killer, especially when you consider that this is not the first time that Seth Lugo has had an elbow problem. Uh, this happened four years ago admittedly as a result of I think extensive work during the world baseball classic so it wasn't the, entirely the same scenario I mean pitching out a sequence during a COVID shortened season them pulling him into the rotation was a bad idea from the start this is just sort of what you get for playing that kind of game um he's 31 years old too I mean I love Seth Lugo dearly but I also wonder if he's really going to come back from this kind of thing the same the same pitcher because he's had injuries in the past. So I think it really, the onus is really on the Mets now to call up whoever they need to, to be that reinforcement. I don't know if it means that they call up Trevor Rosenthal and try and give him a big league deal uh, and sort of slot him in where Lugo would have been, or if you just push everyone up a rung. So like May and Diaz assume, or I guess Diaz is the closer, right? But like May would assume Lugo's job. And then like Miguel Castro would assume uh Trevor May's job but I also you know at that point you really have to know that and trust that the depth options you're picking up are, are good guys like I don't really know how far I'm willing to throw like a Drew Smith or Robert Gesellman or Sam McWilliams I'd much rather have them as backup options in the middle of the season than immediate options going into the season so I think the Mets really do need to make deals soon I agree with you. I definitely think that there's a there's room for Trevor Rosenthal in this bullpen. He's the best reliever remaining on the market. Uh, had a great year between the Royals and the Padres, and I absolutely am on board with giving him a major league contract. Two years, maybe not, but if we, we can get him on maybe a high-value one-year deal, I'd absolutely do that. Uh, there's been conversation about Justin Wilson having some – you know, interest in coming back. But last we heard earlier today, earlier yesterday, if you're listening to this on Monday, Wilson might be close to joining the Yankees, which, you know, I mean, it as of right now, as of recording, it's only been reported that they've been, in, you know, in negotiation. It's nothing official. They're not even to the pending a physical stage. 
but you know, I would, I would welcome Wilson coming back. I, I suppose, I guess he might be cooked by now, but you know, he had a couple of good years with us and there is probably room for another more proven lefty, unless you're comfortable with like a Steven Tarpley as your second lefty. Um, but right now, I mean, my inclination is to say that Rosenthal is the guy that they should be targeting right now because they, I think they need to add to the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. At this point, I was much more comfortable like addressing the bullpen with sort of, you know, short-term savvy solutions, like, uh, you know, like they had been sort of planning on doing, uh, in prior off seasons, except this time they would have had a better analytics crew to handle and, and, and choose who they like, like, like Trevor Hildenberger. Right. But right now what we're kind of looking at is a situation where the biggest guarantee to pitch well out of the bullpen this year is now, honestly, I would like, I would not be surprised. I'm no physician, right. I, I wouldn't be surprised, especially given how quickly Syndergaard's going that, if, if Noah Syndergaard is pitching games before Seth Lugo is like the Mets are really going to need to play this conservatively. They can't right. do this thing again, where they rush guys back from injuries, especially not pitchers. I mean, we talk about Justin Wilson, that is somebody that they've literally done this to before they've done this to Gesellman. Um, stuff like that has to stop. You need to, you, you can't be like repeating bad habits. You ultimately need to, if you're not going to sign Rosenthal, maybe you make a trade, uh, not giving up any of your, any, you know, any of your, your top seven, so to speak. But like, we've spent a lot of time talking about Chris Bryant, maybe see if the Cubs would, you know, be open to taking Craig Kimbrell on with, I mean, he's, he's owed a lot of money, but he's also owed a lot of money for one more year. Uh, if you keep him under 55 games, that option's not going to vest. Uh, I'd be kind of open to that. I mean, again, you'd need more depth signings because Kimbrel's no sure thing in the way that Lugo is. But I also think aside from Trevor Rosenthal, there's really no sure thing left on the market. There are only really good depth options that, you know, you're rolling the dice on. Yeah, Kimbrel scares me. The walk rate. Oh, man. I mean, like, I understand from an analytical standpoint, the fastball and the curveball are still effective pitches in terms of their spin and their values and all that stuff. But oh boy, Craig Kimbrell scares me a little bit because he did not. He there are points, especially like last year and the year before, where he just doesn't throw strikes. Yeah, ever, and it's terrifying. I mean, the ERA was bad last year. He had moments where he was fine again. He can still strike guys out. It's just you can't expect like Craig Kimbrell if you're getting Craig Kimbrell anymore. No. It, it would be like what they did with Batances. No, I definitely want to be careful about that. But Right. And so you mentioned the depth uh, options out on the market. The Mets have sort of addressed the bullpen today a little bit. Uh, they made two minor league signings for with invites to spring training, the first of which being Mike, Mike Montgomery, who's a left-hander, a 32-year-old left-hander, has been between the Cubs and the Royals, and you – he's probably best known for throwing the last pitch of the 2016 world series mm-hmm. that the Cubs won in Cleveland. Uh, not all that impressive. We'll talk more about him. The other being Tommy Hunter, who is turning 35 in July is a right-handed reliever. He's been around the block forever. Uh, most recently with the Phillies and velocity is not quite where it was in the past with Tommy Hunter, but there's a possibility he's still relatively effective. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause he's sort of, I mean, the thing that's 
been holding him back as, you know, obviously was it three off seasons ago now, maybe even four when the Phillies gave him that deal and the Mets had been like very deep in negotiations with him. So they lost him to Philadelphia, but then he had some forearm problems, uh, tore a flexor tendon in his elbow, which is pretty rough stuff once you're, you know, on that side of 30. Uh, so his velo went down a lot, uh, but he's kind of, I think in a very resourceful and encouraging way, found a way to just throw the curveball more because he's always been able to get a lot of spin on it, get a lot of drop on it. Uh, and he's sort of changed his fastball repertoire. So now instead of throwing a four seamer like he did four or five years ago, now he throws a sinker and a cutter that basically run at opposite directions of the plate. Admittedly, this is like 92, 93 miles per hour. It's, it's, it's nothing crazy, but also this was an, you know, an impressive showing for a short 2020 season. So on depth, you know, on a depth deal, it makes plenty of sense. I think he's a lot more of, he's a, probably a much safer option to get a, you know, get his contract purchased and brought up than Mike Montgomery is. Uh, I personally feel like if we're going to Montgomery at any point in the season, we're in a lot of trouble. Uh, but no, I like Hunter. I'd like to see more guys like Hunter, but it's, it's something. Yeah. It's like a tale of two non-roster invites with these guys. One is, you know, a guy who's coming off an effective season, a three, three, one fit and a three, seven, four X fit in 25 innings for the Phillies this, this past year, right. He's hit five, uh, had a five fifty four five fifty two rather OPS against him and his fastball and his curveball spin are both elite. He's got 93rd percentile in fastball spin and 88th in curve. And then Mike Montgomery only threw five and a third innings in 2020 in 2019, he was in 33 games, 13 starts, and had an ERA just below five. His fastball spin numbers are not good. He doesn't throw hard. Neither does Tommy Hunter at this point, but Montgomery's like an 89-90 guy. Uh, he just hasn't real been a, really been effective since like 2018, whereas Hunter had some pockets of effectiveness when he's been healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of these guys there might be a spot for him. And one of these guys, I really, really hope doesn't have a spot. No offense to Mike Montgomery. I just don't think you're very good. Tommy Hunter. I think you could be effective still. Yeah. I, I would, I'd agree with that sentiment. I mean, hopefully the Montgomery thing is just sort of some, you know, some further housekeeping. Cause obviously this hasn't been like the best weekend when it comes to signing the good free agents. Um, but right. you know, that's, that's its own separate thing, which we'll get into. And if yeah, we'll get into not only did we hear about Seth Lugo's injury news on Saturday, Mets also lost a couple of free agent battles, but we'll talk about those guys in, in just a bit. We do want to address one thing real quick. Uh, in our last episode with uh, Justin Toscano, we broke down a handful of transactions the Mets had made at the major league level, including the Albert Almora signing. And we completely missed one. Uh, he just, you know, we, uh, we forgot that's, that's one that we'll eat. We'll, uh, we'll take the L on that one and apologies to Jonathan VR yeah. who signed a one year, three and a half mil, you know, contract with the Mets, a major league contract. He's a switch hitting utility guy, been primarily a shortstop second baseman in his career, but he's also played, you know, a handful of, uh, of the outfield and a little bit of first and third in his career. He's, he's pretty much played everywhere. He's a Marlin. Uh, last year, spent time between the Marlins and the Blue Jays. The Mets absolutely picked them apart 
when they played the Marlins. He also had a very good 2019 on the Orioles. He's been with the Brewers and the Astros prior. Uh, he, he sort of fits on the roster, I guess. He's a, he rounds out the bench, I think. He's a guy that, you know, his, his successful seasons, especially 2019, I feel like it's fairly obvious he was kind of lucky. The bad pip numbers are a little high. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a real bad year last year. But, again, as we preached all offseason, 2019 or 2020 being, you know, having a bad season in 2020 doesn't necessarily mean you're bad. Uh, it's just kind of – it's an odd fit. It's kind of a weird fit. Yeah. I think you're in agreement with me. I think with VR, what the team evidently I think is hoping for is that he's going to be somebody who, because for most of his career, VR has been a starter, or at least he's been like the first guy off the bench. He's been to a lot of teams, what like Wilmer Flores was for us a few years ago. Uh, but some players, as they get older, they, they transition to bench roles and they actually, I think like they thrive as hitters or they thrive as, as defensive replacements or they thrive as runners. I don't, I'm not totally sold on VR as a fielder. In fact, I'm not sold at all. I think he's a pretty bad defender. I think the speed is, you know, it's had diminishing returns, but could he be like a, a Jed Jerko or a, a Marwin Gonzalez or a, or a David, you know, maybe not David freeze. Cause that's like the shining example with the Dodgers. Cause he was like, you couldn't get David Freeze out off the bench, but I think that's, it's something the Mets have a chance at doing really well. If they really make sure that he's not getting more playing time than the players who need the playing time. Like if he's getting more playing time than Luis Guillorme, this is a failure on every level. Uh, He's coming off the bench and serving a pretty good role as like a pinch hitter because he is a switch hitter. He can work in any matchup. That's a plus. Uh, right. He's also a switch hitter. He's also a switch hitter who doesn't really have pronounced splits. He kind of is the same hitter from both sides, Mm -hmm. which is about, which is valuable. Right. And I mean, to your point about Guillaume, it's, it's easy to be like, okay, you have two infielders on, on your roster in non-starting roles in in this kind of bench situation. You know, VR is the one with more major league experience. Guillaume is the more defensively, specialized one uh it's easy to just be like well vr is probably the better hitter vr is probably the guy that comes off the bench more mm-hmm. guillorme should absolutely be getting more starts than vr yeah i think that that's not a hot take mm-hmm. because he's a guy you can play at third base instead of jd davis who it looks like jd davis might be our third baseman in 2021 uh against the tough righty or when you want to get an extra glove in there. Mm-hmm. Whereas VR is not a very good fielder really anywhere. He's like passable at second, but I don't think he's a shortstop at all anymore. And he doesn't really play third or the outfield all that well. No. Um, so I would, I just would feel awful for Guillaume if this winds up cutting into his playing time, because honestly, VR is not necessarily a move that I thought was like a necessity. This, this type of player I didn't think was like, I wanted a utility guy, but I think I wanted like a Kike Hernandez. I thought that would have been a better use of that role, especially at the price point that Kike wound up getting. He was not expensive for the Red Sox. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at under four mil with VR on a one year, it's okay. It, he might wind up being a guy the Mets cut in June right? because he's awful. Or, you know, maybe he's a productive member of this roster as a, 
you know, 23rd guy on this roster. Who knows, honestly, because I, I don't yet. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of like a, you know, it's a low risk uh, gamble. And ultimately what I think it comes down to, and it sort of ties into what we were talking about with like Hunter, for instance, is another depth addition. Like, you know, if you're not getting the, the, the premier third baseman, if you're not getting Trevor Rosenthal, you might as well get somebody, but also like, you're going to need someone like Trevor Rosenthal. If you want to win this division, like Jonathan VR can't be playing third base. I'd, I'd go so far as to say JD Davis can't be playing third base, at least not every day. If you really want to finish ahead of the Braves and maybe even the Phillies um, stuff like that goes a long way. It's about finishing the job. I think that a lot of fans have been kind of restless because and obviously you can't write off the Lindor and Carrasco acquisition, right? We talked about this with Justin for a while, but since then it, it, it hasn't really been much of a finished job. And I think that at this stage, depth is sort of something that like, it makes sense for the Mets to be trying to address it, but also like, you can't, you really still can't go into this year with, you know, with no legitimate third baseman. And I mean, the nice thing about it at least was that, you know, Zach Scott came on and gave a zoom press conference and without really saying it said, we want JD Davis here, but he can't play third base. Like he, what he essentially said is we have full confidence in JD Davis, uh, in a long-term role on this team. He would not commit to saying that J.D. Davis is the third baseman. Very refreshing in my mind. Like Brody Van Wagenen probably would have just been like, yeah, he's our third baseman, which is something that happened a lot. And I think it's also kind of a, you know, a tough look this far ahead of the start of the season, especially when there are this many free agents left. So it'll be interesting to see what the Mets do to, I think, address that issue. Cause it doesn't seem like they're really set on giving Davis or BR time, but also they haven't signed anyone to sell the point that they don't want to, you know, go that way. Right. What Zach Scott said, basically, he just was like, we really like JD Davis and we want him on our baseball team and we want him to play a big role on our baseball team, but nowhere in what he addressed about JD Davis, did he use the word third baseman? He did not say he's our third baseman. He just said, we want him to have an important role on this team. So he left the door open for the Mets to bring in an actual starting third baseman. And I think when you couple that with, you know, Mark Feinzen continuing to report that the Mets, you know, are, are trying to do something big or they are working on big thing, bigger things. Like it's, it leaves me kind of 50 50 on if JD Davis is going to be the starting third baseman. I will not be shocked if on opening day, he is, the guy are heading into spring training. He is the guy to play third base. I will also not be shocked if they turn around and make a move for a Bryant or a Suarez. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it's super likely, but you know, Zach's got left room for it. Uh, And I think that it's a situation that we will have to continue to watch because, you know, we don't really have an inclination one way or the other. Like the Cubs don't seem too interested in dealing Bryant, but I have to assume that if the Mets offered them enough talent and enough money to offset the contract, you know, to pay Bryant's contract, then they would say yes. Yeah. Uh, obviously yeah. without Francisco Alvarez. Yeah. I but, mean- you know, it's, it's a kind of a, a 
it's a situation that is developing kind of weirdly because it's do the Cubs want to trade him? Do the Cubs not want to trade him? Are the Mets talking to them? How deeply are the Mets talking to them? It seemed like there was quite a bit of smoke the other day, but there's really been nothing over the last 48 hours or so. Well, it's, I mean, the other thing too is just that, I mean, relative to, to the Lindor deal, it seemed like it was going to be much easier to negotiate because he wanted out of Cleveland and Cleveland was desperately trying to shed salary. But there was also a very, I think, quiet period for like three weeks, maybe even four, where right before Lindor became a Met, we didn't really know if that was something that was still going to happen. I think on the pod, we actually like had said at some point that it didn't seem like it was actually going to go anywhere. And then like a week or two after that, bang, we got him. Like going into spring training though, it is obviously much more difficult because the Cubs have, I think a plan for Bryant. And if he shows up and has a great spring training and people assume he's back, uh, his value goes up a lot more and the Cubs probably are going to try and milk that as much as they can. Uh, I think what they're doing is really strange because like they don't, they're not that far away from competing in that division. Their pitching staff has been uprooted because they got rid of you Darvish. And for whatever reason, they think that Jake Arrieta is going to be the answer, but I don't get this. Like a lot of teams are just calling it quits when they still have like a pretty open lane to winning baseball games. It just, it's, it's kind of annoying. Hopefully though, we'll be able to capitalize on that because it just means the league gets so much easier because especially is for the Cubs, especially with how mediocre the central is. Yeah. I mean, the Brewers really haven't added anybody this offseason. They missed out on Justin Turner as the Mets. We'll talk about that in just a moment. In fact, why don't we talk about it right now? Is Saturday we talked about was not a great day in Mets land. You know, Lugo, that injury news came across. But two free agents who the Mets were in on both went elsewhere. Justin Turner is back with the Dodgers on a two-year $34 million contract, I want to say. Uh, and James Paxton's back in Seattle one year, eight and a half. Yeah. Just, you know, they're both moves that I think I would have made. Yeah. And I don't understand the whole like getting outbid thing either. Like that's a narrative that keeps coming up for some reason, but it's like, you just, you just paid, you basically paid Trevor Bauer 40 million and thought that he was going to come to you. Like, how are you, how are you getting outbid now when you have that much in the chamber and you're not spending it? Maybe they, I mean, maybe they just don't think James Paxson was that good, but also like, I mean, I don't know how many other options are there right now that can give you what Paxton can. There's like Jake Odorizzi and Taiwan Walker. And then you're basically rifling through flyers. I don't think any, I don't think there's any other pitcher aside from those two and um, well, Paxton's gone now who would fit into a big league rotation, at least this one. Unless you make a trade. Yeah. Unless you Unless you ship off, you know, if you're getting a third baseman somewhere else, you can ship off J.D. Davis to the Rockies for Kyle Freeland or something. Or you can try to. that, But yeah, like because they got fleeced in the Arenado deal. That's sort of now it's probably going to be a focus on getting prospects. But then again, like who knows what the Rockies are doing? I don't know what the Rockies are doing. Do you weird know? franchise weird 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 franchise uh yeah it's just a, there's a lot there's a lot of we tried kind of happening right now uh you know the Mets were in on Paxton and the Mets were in on Turner and we heard that after those guys signed elsewhere definitively but 
they didn't sign them. We're kind of having the reverse of like the Blue Jays offseason, I feel like. Where the Blue Jays, the beginning of the offseason, it was like, we tried, we tried, we tried. And then they got their guy in Springer, and then they made a bunch of moves after the fact. Whereas with the Mets, it felt like at the early part of the offseason, they were getting guys that they wanted. They signed Trevor May and then James McCann. And then the Lindor trade happened. It's like, we got our guy, you know, not too dissimilar from the Blue Jays getting their guy. And then after the acquisition, it's like, okay, we tried, we tried, we tried. They've made, you know, the moves like Almora and VR and the depth moves and, you know, Yamamoto, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they're not really filling the remaining needs outside of depth. And it's slightly concerning because the options are becoming rather sparse. Yeah, we don't have that many free agents left who can actually like who can actually play. Um, I think, and that hurts the trading market for the Mets because it means they're going to be more desperate to get somebody. Like they don't have fallback yeah. options. They're probably not getting Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, that hasn't really been a source of discussion for a while. And the fact that they got Almora and went around the infield afterwards like tells me that you know maybe they really just with the DH stuff too, that they are just going to wing it with Brandon Numo in center and play Dom Smith in left field or something. I mean, they, you know, pitchers and catchers report next week though. Like the Phillies are a lot closer to this team than I think fans realize. Like you talk about the Blue Jays going out and getting their guy and that narrative, like the Phillies had an, an, had an arc of their own where they basically came into the offseason. They were like, we can't do anything. We can't move. Uh, we can't spend. And then they kept, probably their best player aside from Bryce Harper. And then they kept Didi Gregorius. So yeah, the market came to them. Yeah. The mark, they played the market probably better than we did in some cases. Like we jumped the gun for a catcher. We probably shouldn't have. Um, again, credit them for Lindor and Carrasco. I really feel bad because I don't want it to seem like I'm writing that off at all. But ultimately I think we all knew coming into this off season that they needed help in a number of areas because the previous front office just made bad decision after bad decision. And right now we still have like, I'd say two and a half, maybe even three full problems going on right now that they're not really going to be able to fix by signing like Jed Jerko or Mike Leak. Like you really need to pony up right now. I probably would have rather had Jerko than VR to be completely honest. Yeah. I wouldn't have a whole lot of speed on the roster, but Jerko's a guy who can play third base and he's a right-handed power hitter, which is something that this team is trying to add more. I guess they, they want another right-handed hitter in the lineup. I think that's what they've been telegraphing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why, you know, Turner fit. And he's also, you know, besides being a third baseman, why Turner Bryant and uh, Suarez are fits. Yeah. And someone like a Kyle Seager might not be. Yeah. And Matt Chapman is the ultimate fit, but that's, that's a pipe dream. Yeah, God, that's I, a Craig Carton news break. That's what that is. That's, I'm sure there was a phone call. I'm sure there was a phone call. I'm sure there was a phone call between the Mets and the A's in which Sandy said, hey, guys, old buddy, old pals of mine whom I worked with a year ago, uh, what would it take for me to pry Matt Chapman out of your hands? And they would say it would cost more than you got. Yeah. And that was probably the end of it. Yeah. I think that the A's are going to move Chapman next offseason, and I'd like to see the Mets in on that. But there are teams that can offer, like, I could see him being a Brave because the Braves have a whole third base and have a better farm system and more to offer. But that's a conversation for another day. 
Uh, you know, it's just like, let's, let's do something here. Like there are, there's like one good hitter left on the free agency market. There's like one good reliever and there's like one good starting pitcher left. Mm-hmm. And that's Bradley Rosenthal and Odorizzi. Yeah. Yeah. So it's- I'm not saying get all those guys. It'd be nice to get at least one of them. I want another starting pitcher. I want another reliever and I want another offensive player. I prefer it to be a third baseman at this point, probably. Yeah. I and would also like a DH. But if you can't do that, honestly, then you need to extend every guy who's about to walk. That means you got to extend Conforto. You got to extend Lindor. I mean, that Lindor thing has got to be a given. That has to happen. There's no other option. Yes. Uh, you have and to I think it will. Syndergaard. And I think you have to extend Stroman too. If you're not going to sign anybody else, you need to get everyone on board for next year so that you can try this again. I agree completely. I you know, Scott also said in, in his press conference, he said that conversations on, about extensions haven't started yet, but spring training is the best time to have those conversations. Uh, Mookie Betts signed his extension in like summer, the summer camp, the proto spring training that they had over the summer before the 60 game season. Um, it's fairly common to see. I think Nolan Arenado signed his big Rockies extension during spring training a couple of years ago. Um so if Zach Scott's saying that, you know, spring training is the time to get these deals done, then I believe him. Uh, just make it happen. Like, actually do it. At yeah. least with Conforto and Lindor. At least. we. I, I man, I really think that there's a, a very good chance Conforto hits the open market because he's a Boris client. Mm-hmm. And Boris almost never extends guys yeah. at market value. The Mets would have to overpay on an extension with Conforto. And I don't think they're going to do that. So if Conforto comes back to the Mets, I think it would be a situation which they re-sign him in the offseason, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I just, I hope that's not true. I hope they extend him. Yeah. But Lindor, I, I think that they get a Lindor deal done. Hopefully. I mean, I would even push it with Syndergaard now. I really believe that he's going to come back and do good things. He's already ahead of schedule. like, And he's also like, we didn't, I think we may have talked about this with Justin we talked a lot of stuff with Justin, but uh, you know, he's going to be pitching you a better catcher. Like he's going to be working around a better defense, stuff like that makes the pitching better. So, you know, you need to, I think, take inventory of that, understand that there's a real chance that guy gives you like an ERA under three thirty this year. And you need to, while the iron's hot, talk to him and his agent and try and wrap something up. I mean, yeah, it's weird too, to think that like, there really aren't that many guys from like that past era left. Like it's literally just DeGrom, Conforto and Cindergard. Yeah. And Familia. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had the trip to Oakland. I don't, I don't really count that to be perfect. Sure. Also, he's sort of like, I think it's different with that because we really do like want him gone. Like Brad Brock is gone, but also like between the chances and Familia, like if you could just replace them with two more surefire options you'd probably have the best bullpen in baseball so. yeah if uh, if lugo comes back healthy and you replace batances or familiar with trevor rosenthal that certainly helps yeah. um yeah so there's not a whole lot to talk about today and before we remember some guys just let's let's give a shout out to matt harvey real quick yeah talk about 2015 that's who netted a uh, matt harvey netted a uh, a minor league contract with the orioles earlier this weekend and we'll be pitching for a roster spot with the O's good for him. He's been putting in a lot of hard work. We, we know this from his social media working with a pitch lab 
and all that. And I'm excited to see how he comes out throwing in spring training with the Orioles. And I really hope he makes it a roster spot. You know, if only just because we get two Harveys on one roster with Hunter Harvey and Matt Harvey, I think that'd be fun. You could have a but, game where Matt Harvey pitches eight innings and then Hunter Harvey closes it out in the ninth. You could have make the jokes about Harvey in the ninth. That'd be kind of, that'd be epic, I think. Yes, because we we love when Harvey goes out for the ninth, don't we, folks? And then finishes the game. That would be the thing is like Hunter Harvey would finish the game. If Hunter Harvey blows it, it, it doesn't mean anything. You might as well not even sign Matt, but yeah. I'm, I'm excited. And I yeah, think I root for Matt all the time. I do my best to root for Matt because he deserved a better shake in his Mets career. We know injuries and a bunch of, you know, probably behind the scenes stuff yeah. affected his, uh, his career here. Mm-hmm. And he's still young-ish. He's still like DeGrom's age, right? He's maybe even slightly younger. Yeah, he's so he was drafted in 2010. I think he was a senior in college then, but I'll look at the I'll look at it now. I think he's 31 going on 32. Uh looking, looking. Yeah, he turns 32 at the end of March. But I thought for sure after he pitched with the Royals that he was done because he didn't even have like a real role with them. They just had him uh, start a few games. And then when that didn't work, they just brought him in to mop up and it was not great. He got hit pretty hard. I think he gave up like four homers in five innings or something, not five innings. He pitched, he pitched more than that, but it was, it was not, he was was going to come back. Uh, He came out in his first start. He came out in his first start as a spot start for the Royals in which he, uh, he was pitching, I believe, the front end of a seven-inning doubleheader. And he came out, and he retired, like, his first, like, nine guys, and he was throwing, like, 96, 97. And it looked like, oh, man, is Matt Harvey Matt Harvey again? Mm-hmm. And then the Reds just, like, went to town on him in the fourth inning or something. He wound up making three uh, – seven appearances for the Royals, four starts – and had a 11.57 ERA in 11 and two-thirds innings. So not pretty. No, six uh, homers in that time. Yeah. Like that's just – you got to adjust something with your fastball at that point. But it seems like he's done that. So best of luck to him. I mean, I don't know really what the Orioles coaching staff is like. Like I would trust him a lot more to, to bounce back if he were signing – with like Minnesota or Tampa, but I don't know. Maybe the Orioles know some things. They've got John so we'll, Mean work pretty well. I guess we'll see how it goes and something to keep an eye on. And on that note, probably a good time to, uh, to remember some guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack, would you like to start us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm going to be remembering uh, Zach Borenstein because we're going to be, oh. we're doing shadow Mets, right? We're doing shadow Mets today, folks, yeah, because yeah. we're we're thinking a lot about we're thinking a lot about non-roster invites, guys who played in spring training for the Mets, and so I think Jack and I are both going with shadow Mets. As in, the definition of a shadow Met is a Met who was with the organization but never played a major league game for the Mets. Matt Kemp would be a famous shadow Met, mm-hmm. um, and lots of spring training non-roster invites. You know, Tommy Hunter, Mike Montgomery, they might wind up being shadow Mets. So your shadow Met is Zach Bornstein. Yeah, big home run hitting guy. He was like 30 and he had no big league experience. Uh, and he couldn't really feel it. I think it was 2019 that they brought him on. He hit pretty well in Syracuse, I think. But yeah, he never 
he never amounted to anything, but it's always fun. I think when you get to spring training and there's like someone who's got like the outside shot and they're looking in and, you know, they have like one tool that's just ridiculously good in comparison to everyone else. Yeah. Borenstein hit like, so he had a season. Yeah. He'd hit 28. Okay. All right. I got this wrong. So it was 2018 that they had him because he had 27 home runs uh, in AAA Reno with the Diamondbacks the year before. And at that point he was 27 years old. Um, but I don't know what the Mets really thought they were going to get out of him going into 2018 because like they had just signed Jay Bruce and they assumed Cespedes could play still. And they had Conforto and Nimmo, like there was nowhere for him to go, but he just like lit it up. And then they had to option, not option. They had to, you know, outright him off the 40 man or, or cut him or whatever. I don't remember what the the format of that was. He just didn't make it to the forty man roster. That might yeah, be. Zach Zach Borenstein. If they didn't call him the Borenstein Bear, that's a a missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I I've been to one Mets spring training game in my life, and it was in the spring training that Borenstein was with the Mets, mm-hmm. and it was like the spring training home opener at home, and uh, he had like a go ahead double in that game. And I was like, ah, yeah, Zach Borenstein, let's go. And so that's my memory of Zach Borenstein. Um, and then the guy that I'm I'm remembering today is such an odd player, but I just love him to death. And I really hoped he made the roster when he was with the Mets, but he wound up never uh, making it. He was with the Mets in 2017. And you talk about guys with one tool. Uh, I guess this kind of fits. His name is Ben Rowan. Yeah, and he is a submariner reliever. Ben so Rowan. Mike Mayer will appreciate this because he has a love and affection for submarine pitchers. He's like with the—I think he's with the Angels right now. If you go by his Wikipedia page, yeah, he signed with the Angels on a minor league deal in December of 2020. Check out how many teams Ben Rowan's been with, and he's only played for two of them in the majors. He played yeah. for the the Rangers in 2014 and the Brewers in 2016, and those are not nearly the only two organizations he's been with. He went from the Rangers to the Orioles to the Cubs to the Blue Jays to the Brewers, where he he made a couple appearances, to the Mets, where he spent all of 2017 in Vegas after free uh, after spring training with the big club. Yeah. Then the Reds, the Sugarland Skeeters of the Atlantic Professional Baseball League, one of the more famous independent teams. They had a, uh, they have uh, I think Roger Clemens played for yeah, them post retirement. He was like fifth. Uh, yeah. Then the Braves, and now most recently the Angels, and just an odd career. But you yeah, know, if I remember, he was kind of like decent. He had a four four one ERA in Vegas in fifty four games that, in twenty seventeen, and yeah. just a, he threw funny. He threw really funny. He didn't walk anyone. That was his like I guess his just looking at his BRF page. Like he averaged under two walks per nine innings. But I was always kind of annoyed. I think that he didn't get a shot in 2017 because that was such a bad year. And they went through so many bad players, especially bad pitchers. Uh, like, I, I don't want to go through the labor of remembering them because we want to protect our guys and uh, keep them preserved for when we most need them. But like, there were a lot of times when, you know, guys, we all remember, right? Like Hansel Robles would get optioned or like Paul Seawald would get optioned. I think like, like they got like, you know, they have to just try something new. He was like the one guy in Vegas that they never actually like gave the ball to. 
And I, yeah, that was just annoying. It wouldn't have meant much, I think, in the long run, because again, like, it's not like he's latched on with anyone since, but, you know, Ben Rowan was kind of cool. I'm glad we're doing shadow nuts. Yeah, this is, this opens up a whole new window for guys to remember. We're so many business. There's so many good shadow mats. And it just dawned on me that this is a, like an untapped gold mine of guys to remember. Mm-hmm. So that add them to the list folks here yeah. on episode, what's this episode 24. So 24, 24 in the books, in the books of the pleasant good evening podcast. Pitchers I think catchers next week, yo pitchers, pitchers and, catchers. and catchers. Are you guys excited? I am. I know yeah. I am. All right. That's all the time we got. Uh, really, actually, we could have gone on for longer, to be honest, but there's just not a whole lot to talk about that we didn't already talk about with Justin Toscano on Friday. So go check out that episode if you haven't. And keep an eye out for some more content. We might put out one more of those uh, those breakdown videos. We did one of those last week. You guys thought that was silly and funny, and, and we might do another one of those. And yeah, follow us on Twitter at uh, the PGE Pod. And go leave us a, a rating and a review on, on Apple Podcasts if you guys have never done that before. It'd be very meaningful for us and would help us grow the pod. So, once again, for Jack Hendon, on the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast, I've been Sam Lebowitz and Mets fans. Have a pleasant good evening. Mm-hmm.